0: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 498 of the podcast. It's February 14th, 2024. Joining us today, a returning guest, uh, Jeff Liker, author of books including uh, the Toyota Way series. Our main focus today is going to be talking about mistakes, reacting to them, preventing them, learning from them in Toyota or companies that are applying TPS or lean. So to learn more, uh, look for links in the show notes or go to leanblog.org slash 498. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, welcome back to the podcast. We are joined uh, today, I think we'll call it his sixth time here on the podcast, uh, Jeff Leiker. He is Professor Emeritus from the University of Michigan, president of Liker Lean Advisors and author of, of the Great Books and the Toyota Way series and, and more. So, Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, it's great Thank you. to see you again. Thanks, um, your uh, guests, uh, Episode 3, Episode 400, a, a bunch of episodes in in between over the last uh Seventeen plus years, so um, thank you for coming on, Jeff. But um, today, as as we're recording this, um, I want to congratulate you for for something exciting that happened in, in in your world yesterday. If you want to tell everybody what that was,
1: well, Michigan is the national champions in football for the first time since nineteen ninety seven when we're co champions the first time. I think it was nineteen forty eight that we're sole champions. So it's a historic event. First time we've ever won mm-hmm. 15 games in a row. I watched it with my wife last night, was completely delighted and still in the afterglow.
0: Well, I'm glad you have a voice and uh, yeah, congratulations to, uh, to you and all the Michigan fans. I, I grew up a Michigan fan growing up, you know, not too far East of Ann Arbor. So uh, it's not too hard to slip back into that mode. So very happy, very happy for you and everyone. Mm-hmm that I know back in Michigan. except I mean, not the Michigan State fans. They're not happy. But. No,
1: we're Ohio State fans.
0: Although I watched, uh, they had this
1: thing where they were showing the students in Chrysler Arena, the basketball arena, who are watching on a big screen. And in order, to wa- in order to watch that YouTube video, you have to watch a public service announcement of how wonderful the state of Ohio <laughs> is.
0: To try to convince people <laughs> not to be too abusive.
1: I think no, it was uh it was just that they happened to be willing oh. to pay for their
0: spot. <laughs> oh okay. um, oh thank gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. That's just kind of like putting up a bill. That's the modern equivalent of putting up a billboard somewhere. Gotcha.
1: Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> well, so okay, my mistake, but now I, I get what you're saying. That uh, we were going to talk about, we are going to talk about mistakes today and, and learning from them. And I'm I'm, I'm glad. It's not in the context of uh, the Michigan Wolverines making too many mistakes on the field there in Houston yesterday, but bringing it back to, to, to lean and Toyota, um, I want to pick your brain on, on, on this topic, Jeff, and, and maybe the first question is, from, from your study of Toyota, your experience with Toyota, how would you expect Toyota leaders to react when there's a mistake on the factory floor?
1: Okay, so first of all, when you talk about the factory floor, you'd have to ask what level of leader. So there's different levels. Uh, sometimes Toyota will show the org chart upside down. So the there's the team member who's doing the jobs, and then there's a team leader, and there's ideally one team leader for every four or five team members. And they're the first line of attack when there's an and-on pull. And then there, you go up from there. There's a group leader. The group leader is a first line supervisor in the first level of real management. Then there's manager, and there's section manager, and there's uh, uh, general manager, and vice presidents and presidents. So it depends on what level you're talking about, because they all react differently. Uh, but the first line of attack is at the team leader level, and. The team leader is not a manager, but rather is a worker. And they have been trained in leadership skills, they have leadership potential, they've done and they specifically have been trained very deeply in problem solving, and they've done projects, multiple projects to earn that place. And one of their key responsibilities is to respond to the and-on, which is uh when a work a team member worker Uh, notices a deviation from standard, their job is to pull the cord. And then that doesn't mean the line stops immediately, but the team member comes over and the team member has to decide, do I let the line keep going? And then the line will stop when it reaches the next zone. Or do I pull the cord a second time, which overrides the line stop and then the car will keep going. The team leader will pull the court a second time if the team leader believes that he or she can fix the problem and contain it in process. And then uh, at the end of the shift, the uh, and, that, and this is all recorded electronically, and then at the end of the shift, the team leader looks at the end uh, on polls that day and they'll be able to see quantitatively it happened on this station more than any others and this was the problem. And then they're expected to do problem-solving and, and address the problem. Uh, a general Toyota standard is if they can't solve the problem themselves within five days, on the fifth day, they escalate it to the group leader who then deals with it. Uh, from the point of view of the group leader, when there's an end-on pull, uh, if the team leader can handle it, now if the team leader lets lines stop, then the group leader gets involved immediately. But if the team leader handles it from the point of view of the group leader, either it's an non issue because the team leader handled it, or it's a coaching opportunity. So they if they when they, they're constantly walking the floor, and if there's an and on call, they're gonna watch the team leader in order to see how the team leader handles it and see if there's an opportunity to provide coaching. So it talks about windows of opportunity for coaching. And one window of opportunity is when uh-huh. an Andon is and on is pulled. And one reason, yeah, on top the they're looking at generally overall numbers, like did we uh, make the number of vehicles we're supposed to make within the the regular eight hour shift? Uh, what kind of quality problems we have? If there's a safety issue that comes to their attention immediately and they have to investigate, uh, so they're looking more big picture, and they're. Sp- supposed to be thinking about more general policy, like uh, is there some sort of recurring problem that we need to address from a policy point? To not
0: be quickly responding to the same problem over and over and over again with a a short-term countermeasure, get the line.
1: Yeah, and there's different kinds of problems, different levels of problems. Uh, One kind of problem that's common is that the worker drops a nut or bolt, and that's not going to reach... The president of Toyota in Japan, that because it's happening every time, all the all the time, every place. Uh, But then there's another kind of problem where there's a serious injury, and then that's going to get the attention even in Japan. Uh, And there's another kind of problem where there's there's something called the uh, there's a quality audit audit done at the end of uh, the line, and they're looking at that. Uh, that the vehicle from the point of view of the customer, a finished vehicle from the point of view of the customer, they take a certain number of vehicles. And then in that case, if there was, say, several cases where the brake system was not installed properly, that would get the attention of the president. And then they ask, why is that happening? And they would, their job is, they talk about, they use the term process confirmation. So they're trying to confirm if the correct process is being followed, and if there's deviations from that process, uh, there's an. In I do a, a master class in lean leadership in cooperation with the Toyota plant in the United Kingdom. I've been doing it for about eight years. I've been in the plant like fifty times, and uh, they have developed a training room. They call it an obea, but it's a, tra- a training room. And it lays out each of the roles, team member, team leader, group leader, et cetera. And it, and it lays out their roles and responsibilities. And there's various teaching points. And at one point, they have a row of hats. And each hat has a different symbol on it. And one hat says, I'm a team member. And one hat says, I'm a team leader. And you know, depending on how many bars there are or something. So they have these all lined up, and then they show an arrow from the team leader to the team member, group leader to the team leader, uh, manager to the group leader, and they say, don't skip Mm. hats. Interesting. So if a uh, team member were to pull a cord and a manager were to come down and say, why did you pull that cord to the team member, that would be considered Uh inappropriate. Uh, yeah. The manager should be asking the group leader, and one of the things the manager is trying to to, to determine is whether the group leader knows, whether they have investigated enough to know. Uh, but so the group leader is uses that data to then coach the group leader. But if the if the manager goes down to the floor and asks the worker, "What happened and why? Can you explain it to me?" Number one, they're usurping the authority of the team leader and group leader. Number two, they're not going to have the depth of understanding that the team leader has, so they're likely to start to jump jump to conclusions. Uh, And there may well be a reason why, based on past history and based on various conditions, why the team leader and group leader reacted the way they, they have, and the manager won't understand that, and they may mess up things. So uh and that's a, a common issue when we're teaching other other managers and other companies is that they think the reason why you the you go to the Gemba is so that you can solve the problems. as, well, as opposed right. to just observe you're you're a fly on the
0: wall. And then you have to think and reflect on what should you know, yeah. what should I do about this. So when you talk about, yeah, don't don't skip a hat. I've I've seen or, or heard about situations where uh, you know, even a healthcare senior executive, uh, I guess you trace back. Yeah. They, they skipped a hat or two and it ended up causing more trouble or, you know, at least it wasn't following that path of what I hear you describing of, you know, the senior leader's job is to, to coach and mentor the person that hat the role directly below them, right. not to circumvent right. them and jump in and be right. a hero.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, when we think of the chain of command, we think top down. We think the, the top is giving an order and then everybody's executing. In the, but this is actually kind of a bottom-up chain of the command. It's not the top having the authority. It's the top having the respect of the people on the floor to respect that they're trying to do a good job. Yeah, the responsibility
0: to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right, right.
0: So, you know, with all of the effort Toyota puts into mistake-proofing, um, there are, I'm sure inevitably errors that will occur, mistakes that we made, whether it's, you know, physical slips, uh, I dropped apart, uh, tools slipped out of my hand, scratched the paint on the car. I don't know. I'm just making up examples, but you know, the stories that I've heard from Toyota people, whether it's stories from the, my favorite mistake podcast or stories I was able to include, Uh, in the mistakes that make us the book. And there's other stories I've heard that I don't think I really have permission um, to put those stories uh, in the book, but there's this common theme of individuals not being blamed for what was arguably a a systemic problem. I was wondering if you, if you have examples. Well,
1: that was in part, part of that comes from uh, Dr. Deming uh, where he said, drive out fear. And he said, you know, like 90% of problems are system problems and they're the responsibility of management. Now He was not saying a hundred percent. So there's some person, whatever it is, 10, 20, but some percent that really is somebody just wasn't paying attention and they messed up or they didn't think of the rule of the time or they were not paying attention when the standard work was explained or something. So, uh, but he's saying that in the vast majority of cases, it's the system. So, let's start with the assumption it's a system. And that's something that then became kind of religion within Toyota. So they talk about the difference often between the five whys and the five whos. And the who is who's to blame. And the five whys is what allowed this to happen. And when you when you do the five whys, it's not unusual that Anybody, any person, whether they work for Toyota or elsewhere, that their natural inclination is to blame the person. So they might say, so and so dropped the nut. And, or so and so put on five nuts instead of six. And then you'd, you could say, well, what Mm -hmm. are you going to do about it? But in Toyota, they would say, Right. Why did that happen? So they would what they they wouldn't say don't blame the person that's not our policy and start reading the right act. They would just simply say, "All right, fine. That person dropped it. why did they drop the part?" And then let's say they said because they weren't paying attention and they didn't follow the standard work. Again, you don't need to argue with that person. What you need to say is why didn't they follow the standard work? And at some point, and I also have written about the idea of Tretacata in Mike Rother's work, and one of the things he talks about is a threshold of knowledge. And when you're at the point of a threshold of knowledge, you want to investigate. So at some point, you're going to detect that the person you're talking to uh, is just guessing. Like why didn't he follow the standard work? Uh, I guess he wasn't paying attention when we did the training. Okay, I guess uh, how could you find out? So now you're stopping the process, and you want the person to go and observe, talk to people, investigate, and then come back to you, so you can then do more coaching. So the five why is often thought of as a technical process to get to the root cause when actually it can be a coaching process as well. And also you often assume that the first answer that's given is superficial. And by digging down, you're getting to the actual system that allowed this to happen. The other part of 5Y is that you don't, you want really to find not the root cause, but a controllable cause that will make an impact. So if you keep on asking 5Y enough, you'll get to things outside of your control, like it was product development's fault. And uh, that's too far. So, you know, we we know that we're not going to see a change in product development until the next new model introduction. So what can we work on right yeah. now?
0: I've uh, always joked, and maybe I heard somebody else make this comment, so I won't claim it was an orig- original thought, but... Passing along, you know, the idea of you. If you ask why too many times, you end up somehow blaming society or Congress, and you've gone. You've gone, you've gone too far.
1: Right. right, or you could get into you know minerals, how how their minerals are taken from the earth. Or you can go to, you can go into evolution of how humans evolved and our
0: genetic weaknesses. Yeah. Somehow it was a damn meteor strike, hundreds of millions. Of ago. But yeah, right. Yeah.
1: So the point is, again, it's, there's always more than one cause and there are some things we can control and there's some things that we can't. Uh, But again, the process, what you're trying to do is to get the person to think and think beyond their first impression and the first impression is often to cast
0: blame. Yeah. And, and asking the the five whys with a, a blamey mindset wouldn't get us anywhere. Right. Like, you know, uh, no. Jim Bob dropped the part. Why? Because Jim Bob's, Jim Bob's clumsy. Why? Because Jim Bob doesn't care. Exactly. Why? Because I'm like, no, 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 no. That's, that's
1: Right. Well, that's another issue is that you could go down that wrong path. And so then there's another, uh, another tool that is used very commonly in Japan is the fishbone diagram or the cause-and-effect diagram. And, again, that's another way to get the person to think beyond placing blame. So there's the person, machine, uh, method, materials. So there's going to be some things related to the person, like Bob is cl- clumsy. And then off that, you can say, why is Bob clumsy? His hands are just too big. Or, you know, you can have different. And But then what you do is you say, uh, let's investigate to maybe to see the relative impact of these different, one, different causes. At some point, you're going to say, What can we focus on that we have some control over? And then if the person says, well, Bob's too clumsy, and then you might say, well, is that something we can change? Can we change Bob? And in some companies, they'd say, sure, we could fire Bob. Well, is that really what you want to do? Is there something you'd rather do first before you assume that we need to fire Bob? And then we have a bunch of causes there. Pick something from that list. So the fact that you have a brainstorm, you have a wide set, gives you the ability to kind of steer the person toward the system.
0: Yeah, because I mean, if, if we are respecting our team members, not just for their backs and their hands, but also for their brains, you wouldn't want to fire. Why, why would you waste the investment that you've made in, in training bob to be a good team member i mean it could be if bob's hands are too big maybe there's just a matter of job fit where
1: right or it could be a matter of why is this job designed so that only people with small hands can do it right
0: yeah because i mean if a a part's always being dropped there's a grip could be a design issue related to the part itself or to the types of gloves they're wearing or what have you but i mean it's just it seems like that mindset and maybe I, you know, I can frame this question thinking about times when when you're trying to help other companies. Um, it seems like that that blame habit is so embedded that it can be a really hard habit to break. Like your your co author for a few of your books, uh, David Meyer, you know, who's a, a friend of mine and um, told stories um, uh, for the podcast and. And, um, in the book, you know, talked about a mistake he made, but then he also, you know, talked about the mistake of being too quick to blame and how he had to unlearn a lot when he came into Toyota. Cause that wasn't his first job. Um, right. but what are your thoughts, thoughts on trying to yeah, unlearn those old habits?
1: Yeah. So the, the, uh, I'll go back to the kata for a second, but, uh, in doing the research, it took about five or six years for Mike to develop the model of the improvement kata and the, and realized that really what he need, needed to focus on is creating the mindset of scientific thinking. The mindset of scientific thinking would cause you to then question your assumptions, for example. Uh, and one of the things he learned along the way, he studied cognitive psychology and how people learn, and he also studied neuroscience, which gives you some insights in how people learned. And one of the things he discovered is that we don't unlearn something, that the habit is deeply embedded, and you may go to your grave with it, with those neural pathways. What you can do is you can overwrite a new set of pathways that your brain is more used to. So to the extent that you practice a new habit repeatedly, like say, for example, I'm right-handed, and I can't do anything with my left hand, but I want to get good at using my left hand, I mean, A, I wouldn't do this or wouldn't recommend this, but a good thing to do might be to tie your right hand behind your back so you can't use it. And then you're forced to use your left hand in practice. And over time, you'll develop the neural pathways. And then when you finally untie your right hand, you might find you're doing things with your left hand that you used to do with your right hand. Because you have, because your neural pathways are so well developed. Now, that's in that example. I think that the right handedness is so genetically wired that most likely you would very quickly want to start using your right hand again. Uh, so you'd have both. You'd be ambidextrous, which is what, for example, a basketball player wants to be. But uh, if you're, if you have the neural p- p- pathways that you've built up, to react with anger and blame when something goes wrong. You're not going to erase that. You know, you might have gotten it from your father when you were a kid. And that's deeply embedded. And one thing we know about uh, learning habits is that every time you do something a certain way, you're more likely to do it that way again. You keep on reinforcing that habit. So as long as that's the way you're dealing with problems, You will keep doing that as well as uh, there's also a concept called confirmation bias, which is the bias where we tend to want to select information data that confirms what we already believe. So you will find a way to convince yourself that you are right and to to yell, And that's the only way you can deal with these people because they won't listen to reason. So how do you overcome that? And somehow you have to practice an alternative. So I have to somehow get you in a situation where your tendency is that you want to blame and yell. And instead you ask a question. And then after you have that interaction, then we talk about it. And then you agree, you know,
0: that. That worked better I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm smiling and, I'm, I'm thinking about some of these leaders I worked with thirty years ago at GM that had very deeply embedded habits and I'm just thinking right. of I'm sorry I'm just playing out a scenario where you tell one of them okay well instead of yelling you need to ask questions and the first question would be what the bleep is wrong with you <laughs> like, yeah right right right
1: right yeah no the pro uh, there's a few problems right. there one of which is that the boss, who is doing the coaching also has that bad habit. Uh, So they went to a class and somebody told them to ask that question and you know that they're full of it. Uh, And the second problem is that uh, you don't want to, as soon as I say you should, when you go to the floor, please ask questions instead of yelling at people. I'm Entering through the rational cognitive mind, uh, I'm assuming that the person is in control of their behavior and emotions. And if I can, if I either order you or convince you through logic, and you agree, you can now change your behavior. But the 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 uh, definition of a habit is that we do it without thinking. We don't decide to do it that way. It's just that we are we have the neural pathways embedded, and it just happens automatically. Uh, so, what I have to do is to get you to do something interesting, or useful, or is, or as important, and then find these what Toyota calls these windows of opportunity for coaching. So, what Mike Rather does with Toyota Kata is he says, "Let's teach, a, you know, kind of a problem solving approach." which is to understand your direction and understand your current state and then set short-term goals and then run experiments. So now I'm not going to you and saying, hey, by the way, you should be asking questions. I'm going to you and say, you know, we've been learning this new approach to helping you achieve your goal. Are you willing to try it? And then you agree on an important goal and then you uh, try to understand the current condition and then you start to run experiments. Now, if in the course of that, like for example, in the current condition, they say the problem is, you know, so they, in order to reach their goal, the workers have to follow standard work. And then they say, the problem is that workers don't want to follow standard work. They want to do it their own way. Well, now you have an opportunity for coaching uh, by saying, for example, why? How? You, if is, what you're describing really is an obstacle, let's put this on what Mike calls the obstacle parking lot, and we'll get to that at some point. But first, we have to actually figure out what we want to standardize. We don't want to standardize a bad process, so let's work on the process. And it may well be that by the time you actually start to work on the real issues and you're talking to the worker, the resistance against standard work doesn't even come up. But if it does come up, now that's an obstacle. And, you, and they, then you'd say, well, what are some things we can try to overcome that obstacle? So you're trying to get them to think about that not as a characteristic, innate characteristic of people that we can't change, but rather as an obstacle to our goal. And you're doing this day by day by day. So over the course of several months, you have lots of opportunities to train the person so that they think differently about problems. And uh, you never have to really give them lectures about why it's important to ask questions and why it's important to blame the system and not the person. You don't have to get into any of that.
0: So when you think about trying to transfer lean methods, TPS methods in, into other companies, it seems like you know, the, the mechanics of things are, e- are far easier to copy, if you will, or transfer than the mindsets. So if we, we bring a system that works well in one culture, you know, can crash and burn in another. And, and one example I'm thinking of you know, is the and on court. And, and I remember an article, and I'm pretty sure this, this was only 15 years ago, um, an article about a new Ford truck plant that had installed uh, all the same Andon cord technology that you would see in a Toyota plant. And this article it was actually from the BBC, but I don't think it was about a, a UK uh, Ford plant. But the the BBC article said, you know, the the Andon cord was only pulled a few times a week at the Ford plant, and I'm yeah, like, oh, right. that must have been somebody testing to see that it worked <laughs> for whatever right, reason. Right. Um, Right. How I mean, you know, how how do we help a company get past that problem and and, and do so in a way where they're not blaming the workers for not pulling the end on cord?
1: Okay, so. uh, I guess one of the things we have to do is to accept our limits, (laughs) you know, think about our own situation, our own role vis-a-vis the company, and uh, what resources we have at our disposal, and what kind of power and influence we have. So if I were to be, say, hired as a consultant to Ford, who said, we have this problem, and we want to change it, and... We've got, you know, X number of plants. Last I knew, they had something like 130, 140 plants. And in every plant, there's bunches of uh, managers at different levels. How do we change their way of thinking so that they uh, encourage the end on and don't punish people when they pull the end on? And to some degree, from my point of view as a consultant, if I'm being honest, that's going to be an impossible task. I mean, I can convince, say this vice president who brought me in about certain things, like the, the Mike Brothers idea that these are habits and you really have to get down to the level of uh, changing behavior and changing mindset. And it starts with you and, and all that. Uh, and there's a certain, to a certain degree, having, in, particularly in a hierarchical culture like Ford has, uh, having a vice president who's modeling, who's speaking, who's persuading is going to have a certain amount of, uh, of power, of influence, at least to make people aware that there seems to be new messages coming from the top, <laughs> that we need to be nicer to our workers and encourage them. To, uh, to to point out errors, uh, but to really do it, you know, if you go back to Mike rothers what you'd like to do is, and this is the way Toyota works with outside companies. They have a group in America called the Toyota Production System Support Center, TSSC, and they would say, let's go to one of your plants and let's do a model line project and let's work with one supervisor in that supervisor's area of control and their manager up to the plant manager. And we'll do the project, and as we do the project, we'll be teaching problem solving, and we'll have opportunities to coach. And then once we have that one chain uh, learning, and it may, that may, that would typically take about eight or nine months, then we can figure out what's next, You know how others can learn from that and how many more plants we can take on. Uh, and we refer to that as uh, going an inch deep and a mile wide. I mean, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, an inch wide and a mile deep. That was my mistake. So, we all make so
0: mistakes, right?
1: An inch deep and a mile wide is would be more like, well, you as a vice president have to tell them that they need to pull the end on more. And let's go plant by plant and visit and meet with the plant management and let's develop a presentation you can give. So now we're trying to scare, scatter like fairy dust across all these different plants, the pronouncement from the vice president that this is the new way. And then we're going to do a three-hour course on Andon and how to use it, which we know doesn't change behavior. It can change awareness. It could change what people say but it's not going to change their actual behavior. So you could do superficial stuff that's one inch deep and a mile wide, or you can do something deep that actually changes habits that's one inch wide and a mile deep. When you go deep, you're not going to go wide, so you're not going to quickly affect a lot of different plants and a lot of different leaders. But at least you build the kernel to then grow organically and to then bring people to other plants and to uh, cross-pollinate and then also begin to develop coaches and also begin to learn what it takes in this culture of Ford to, to change behavior. Uh, so you're now, you now have an informed answer to the question of what should we, what we, what should we do next instead of just guesses. Uh, so that's what I would do. Now, the, if I were to, and I've been in this position many times where I've been asked to bid on a request for bid an RFP, request for proposal. So I'll talk to somebody who will contact me and say, we have this new initiatives and this is really important to our company. And Jeff, you know, we read the title away and we want you. But we also have a committee of people who are going to look at proposals and we need you to write a proposal. We'll help you with it. We want you to win. But we have to go through this process if it's okay with you. And about, I don't know how many times, five, ten times, I've gotten suckered into it. And they, they're, what they're looking for is a very organized roadmap with key milestones and how long it's going to take and what is going to be our return on investment. Often their final question is, are you willing to put some of your fees at risk based on the outcomes? And I say, yeah. none of that's going to right. work. <laughs> you know, We don't really right. know until we get started there's going to be a process of discovery. Uh, so I can tell you how I'm going to get started and I can give you a general overview philosophy. And anyway, I've never won. One somebody is willing
0: to put out that once. plan, even if they don't know, they pretend they know.
1: Oh, lots yeah. of them. Um, yeah. Every other, probably every other consulting company they approached put out that plan. Uh, but, uh, but I wouldn't do it. Uh, so it's clear that, Yes. So, first question is: Do they really want help? Are they serious about it, or do they want to just act as though
0: they're? Would you have been a good fit for them, and vice versa? You may dodge. You may dodge a bullet. Yeah,
1: that's the other. That would be you know the real, uh, the right thing to do is to ask: Are they a good customer for me? And am I a good fit for them? And in unfortunately, in in most cases, I think the answer is no. So I know, for example, Mike's attitude is: if you think about all the organizations in the world, uh, if five percent of them are a good fit, that's still way more than you can handle. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I, I did look um, that that BBC article. I'll put a link in the show notes. was two thousand and seven, which I, th- I th- which I find that interesting because I think I'd like to think Ford w- would have had those things figured out by two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. What plant was that? Um, what did it say? What, was it in Louisville? I'm going to open up that article quickly. Um, oh, the BBC link has changed, so it's on it's on my blog. Okay, um, I'm trying to see if it said which Ford plant as I scroll through. I might have to go find. I'm sure that article is probably still out there. No, it says okay. Here we go. Uh, the link has probably changed the BBC site, so I'll fix that. But it says Ford's brand-new truck plant in Dearborn, Michigan, pulled the cord only twice a week. Okay. A legacy of generation. All right.
1: So I'll give you a little background
0: yeah. of that plant
1: because I was – at some point we had a conference. When they first opened that plant, and they uh, they had put a lot of effort into developing the culture from the start. And we were running at that time an annual lean conference and it was John Shook and Mike Rother and I through university of Michigan. And that year we had, when they, the year they opened the plant, we had the plant manager come to speak and he had his team and they had worked with some former Toyota people for like a couple of years. Uh, and one of the things that they were told by the Toyota people was that uh, uh, there, you really need well-trained group leaders, and you need a team leader role. And the uh, team leader is again, it's a, it's a worker who's been trained in very in problem solving and given extra leadership training, and they've actually proven themselves. You pick them from the workforce based on them proving themselves and then they ha- they are offline. Now in the Toyota plant the normal ratio a typical ratio would be you have a group leader, you have four team leaders and then you have maybe 20 to 25 people. So each team leader might have f- four or five or six people. So the the group leader has four team leaders. On a given day two of them are working on the line and two of them are working offline responding to andon. And they keep on rotating. So you're actually paying for only two people to be offline, even though you have four team leaders. So I say you get two for the price of one. Anyway, at that point uh, in that plant, they had decided to uh, include a team leader role, which is critical for the Andon, responding to the Andon. And also the team leader is one of us. If I'm a worker, it's John who works next to me. And I've known John for years. And I respect John. John's a leader. So John is the one who's encouraging me to pull the cord and John is the one who's responding. Uh, so they spent a lot of time and they, they brought the group leader and team leader on board months earlier than normal so they could train them. Well, in the meantime, you've got forward finance and Ford finance. Say, explain to me again, why we're paying <laughs> right, for these extra right. people. <laughs> and. They, they ended up, and it turned out at Kentucky Truck, where they were all, also making the same F-series trucks, they did not have team leaders. And they said, we're going to compare the Dearborn uh, output, quality issues, productivity, we're going to compare that to Kentucky Truck. And if the team leader role is truly as valuable as you say it is, this plant ought to perform better. If not, we're going to kill the team leader idea. Uh, so they couldn't do anything about it. So that was what, that was what's going to happen. So then uh, something on the order of weeks, I don't know, it was two weeks or four weeks or six weeks, but weeks. Be, and meantime, I was, because they were speaking at the conference, I was out there visiting. They were taking tours, and I was interviewing them sort of to get background and, and helping them to put together their presentation. And they had a nice presentation, but then weeks before they're they're going to launch the plant, and actually we are doing a tour in the plant as part of the uh, course, as part of the uh, conference that I remember, uh, I talked to the guy who's in charge, and he says, we're screwed. And I said, what happened? He said, well, there were layoffs in the Rouge And they have a system called bumping and bidding, where somebody more senior can bid on a job. And if they're more senior, they bump you out of the job. So what had happened is that they had downsized one of the plants in the Rouge, and it was one local. And hundreds of people from these other plants bumped the people they had trained And now they had, they're launching with a whole new set of people. They had spent like uh, eight, 10 months developing culture, training people. They had developed the standard work. They did everything that the type of people told them to do, but the people they trained were gone. And then before you know it, the plant manager was gone and the head of that site was gone because this launch did not go well. What a surprise. It turns out Kentucky performed better, so the the lesson learned was the team leader role doesn't work. So that was really it's really sad. So it's not surprising that they never. So if they had, if that hadn't happened, and if senior management Ford was truly interested in learning and encouraging them to experiment with the team leader role, it would have been a totally different story. I think.
0: Well, I, it's uh, really fascinating to hear you know, the, the, some of the history there, I mean, you know, the, what, what the BBC wrote was probably true, but not fully complete. So they're ex-
1: I would say that there. what they, they wrote was superficial yeah. so and uninformed. I would be less, uh, <laughs> less generous than you. I wouldn't sure. say that they're lying. I wouldn't, I would just say that they don't know what they're talking about. So again, about.
0: like their, their causal because. analysis that didn't go very deep. So, you yeah. know, they you only know, pull the cord twice. Exactly. Three. Exactly. They didn't ask why more I mean, than one the, time. The legacy of generations of mistrust between shop floor workers and managers seems like a true statement, but not really the answer.
1: Well, yes. that's true. So, what happened in the plant is they were trying to intervene. The you know the the managers, leaders, and the Toyota people were trying to intervene in the culture, but because of that bumping and bidding system, the the historic natural culture of of Ford one. So if the BBC were saying that they couldn't overcome the legacy of all that they're true, that's true. Uh, It's true that they were not able to do that. Why, you know, what could have happened if, and why that happened is something that you probably didn't get out of the article. But
0: that's where somebody might say in that case, or pointed at some other organization they tried lean and lean failed. They're like, well, lean ran up against the company's finance culture, the union contract. It let right. you know, right. You know, there's these contributing. Right.
1: But I personally i am convinced that with the effort that was made by all those leaders and what they had learned and their belief system, I'm convinced that would have worked. And would have been more like a Toyota plant than a traditional Ford plant. I can't prove that, but
0: that's what I yeah. Believe is true. Um, so maybe one last topic here, Jeff. Um, you know, to touch on one of the things um, I've had a chance. I wish I'd learned about it sooner, but in in, in recent years, have had a chance to learn more about um, what, what people call psychological safety—the feeling of safety to speak up. And I think pulling the Andon cord is an example of speaking up. And I, and I went back through your books and um, you know, back in uh, Toyota culture. Um, you know, that, that you and Mike Rosais wrote. They're, they're, that's, the, that's the only direct mention I could find of the phrase psychological safety um, where it says, um, quoting from the book, um, Toyota believes people must be treated fairly. They must feel psychologically and physically safe and without trust in their employers. Employees are reluctant to admit to the existence of problems and learn that it's safest to hide them. Um, So I'd I'd be curious, and I'll try to make this as open-ended a a question as possible, your your thoughts on, you know, this quote-unquote psychological safety and and how big of a factor that is when companies are trying to embrace lean.
1: Well, I was thinking about why that was the case. You know, certainly uh, I think the reason it was in that book is because I was writing with Mike Hoseas, who was the uh, human resource manager at the Kentucky Georgetown, Kentucky plant, and Mike is a very, very sensitive person, and he's very concerned about things like psychological safety and people's emotions and all that. Uh, in Japan, they don't worry about that. They don't talk about that. Uh, they talk about getting the job then. They talk about problem solving. They talk, talk, the, so they will often quote Taiichi who says, no problem is a problem so what he was saying is that if you tell me you don't have any problem, you're just unaware of the problems you have, because I know you have problems because there's always problems. Uh, So you'll hear that, which is sort of a bravado statement, but you don't, you wouldn't hear Ono say, I'm concerned that people don't feel psychologically safe to admit they have problems, you know? Uh, So uh, in Western culture, there's a, different vocabulary used in Toyota plants compared to in Japan whereas in Western culture they will talk about emotional intelligence and they even have courses on emotional intelligence for managers and they will talk about psychological safety so partly it's that uh, that distinction that you know, made me more aware when I was talking when I was working with Mike but also I think it's to some degree it's true that it's so natural in the Toyota plant, for people to accept and understand that they have to pull the end on, they have to be willing to admit mistakes. It's so foundational because the whole system is based on problem solving, continuous improvement, which ends, it dies, if we don't think we have anything to improve. And what do we have to improve? We, we Our problems. And the problem is defined in Toyota as a gap between what should be happening and what is happening. What is the standard? What is the goal? What is the policy? What's, what's the standard for the product? Uh, and what's actually happening? So, the reason you go to the GEMBA is to be able to see that, see reality, and see the gaps with the target, see the gaps with the standard. If you don't see a gap, if you don't understand that there's a gap, then you can't improve anything. So, it's so foundational they can't even imagine how you could have an environment where people, but I, on the other hand, I remember I, it might've been in the Toyota culture book that I had interviewed, uh, Fujio Cho, who was the first president of the Georgetown Kentucky plant. And he, I asked him, what was your biggest surprise when you, uh, came to America and were trying to introduce TPS in America. And he said, my biggest surprise is that, uh, people were afraid to pull the end on. And I said, what did you do about it? He said, I had to go to the shop floor every day and encourage people. It's okay. Pull the cord. You won't get in trouble. Uh, So he felt that he had to be at the Gamba to personally encourage people. And that was his his approach, his answer. And then we have a story where Mike Hoseas goes to a meeting with Fujio Cho, his like annual review. And he has uh, pages of scores on KPIs and data. And there's green and red and yellow. And he has all the green items on the front of his report. And all the red items are at the back. And as he's talking, Techo t- takes the paper <laughs> right. out of his hand and he starts yeah. looking through it. And Mike like, <laughs> pulls the paper back, paper back from him and he resorts it. And... To, and Mr. Cho says, "Mike son, Mike son, it's okay. I'm looking for the red because you're a good manager, and I know there's a lot of green, and I know that you're doing a good job, and I don't need to help you with the green items, but I can help you with the red items. I need to understand what you need from me." And Mike said that he like walked out of there like he he felt like he had been a, on another planet. He says previous employers were so different that he, you know, it was just unimaginable. Uh, But that was, that one meeting made it, you know, and I say that just one meeting and talking to people doesn't make much of an impact.
0: That one meeting made a huge impact on Mike. Well, you talk about the Georgetown plant. um, It was just over a year ago. I had a chance to go and do the public tour. I've done, the San Antonio plant many a times i've seen the plants in japan i just never gotten to georgetown now that i live closer uh, it's easy to get there um so during the tour they talked about the andon cord of course and then afterwards in the visitor area there was one of one of the people on the tour was a toyota retiree who had brought like children and grandchildren to be part of the tour and he was talking mm-hmm. and and ended up sharing um, I think the Toyota people had already walked away. I think he was there when the factory launched or ramped up and he was right. talking about, yeah, they talk about Andon and, you know, that was great at first, but then when the Americans started running things that started changing yeah. and we started getting pressure to not stop the line. And I just think about yeah. the, the evolution and the challenges to, to, to really make that culture stick.
1: Right. Yeah. So the, and everybody, well, so David Meyer was one of the first, you know, the people that first started there, they they knew their number. You know, I'm employee 76, you know, forever that's ingrained in their head. Uh, so the when they first launched, they brought an army of people from Japan. So if you were a group leader, you had a trainer. If you were a, a vice president, you had an executive coordinator. The executive coordinator would, might be on a three- to five-year assignment, and the uh, trainers might be there as, as long as they can get a visa. So maybe they're there for six months or a year, and then they rotate. But continually, you have some Japanese guy whose job is to teach you the Toto way. And that was like at a peak of uh, learning and, and and socializing them in the Toto way. Then eventually, those people had to go back to Japan. It was several years, but eventually those people had to go back to japan and Then another thing happened, which was that also coincided with interest in the Toyota production system being probably at a peak, particularly in the auto industry and everybody wanted to hire a away a Ford group leader or manager, and you could double your salary overnight. So not only did they lose the Japanese, they were also learning losing these managers who had been trained by the Japanese and that took a dip. And I mentioned in the United Kingdom, they have that Obeya for training and they actually have a chart shows from when they launched till today. And they're showing the ups and downs of the, of the Totoe culture over that time. And there was a big dip. Then they put a lot of effort and they brought back some Japanese. They put a lot of effort into retraining and then they started going up again, and then events happen, like when the uh, Great Recession happened. They offered buyouts to managers, and then they, when they, when they, when business came back, they hired outside people, and then things went down again. You know, so it's been, you know, those ups and downs. So partly, somebody like you talked to, it depends on what when they were talking about because there were ups and downs and during an up period they were probably doing pretty well and it also depends uh, it also is depends on their frame of reference their standard so their standard was way up here and then if say the average plant was here and it up here they might have come down like this but still it was a big drop from what they're used to Uh, so anyway it's hard to kind of judge what that what that means, but there certainly are managers who they'll say that they know there's trouble when the manager is more interested in the score on the KPI than the process used to achieve the KPI. And when they get to that point, they say all they care about are the numbers. That you know that there's trouble, but then that usually leads to within six months, within a year, you'll see that there's a new plant manager. Sometimes it's a Japanese plant manager. And then they're trying to uh, recover the culture. And that's, you know, it's going up and down over time. So, yeah, it's it's constant. I I mean, I've
0: heard of different waves of, you know, uh, getting back to basics with standardized work. Right, right.
1: um, I guess. It just shows the law. Right. And suddenly it's like they rediscovered 5S like they never heard of it before. And that'll
0: become a campaign Uh, for you. And that's surprising to hear, but I guess it goes to show the laws of entropy in a corporate setting. (laughs) Right. Right.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's a constant effort. Uh, In the case of the UK plant, that's why they developed the Obeya. That's why they created those clear roles and responsibilities. That's why they instituted more training for the team leaders and the group leaders and managers. Uh, And they're at a point now where they're at a pretty high point, a pretty positive point. Uh, But, it could go and – and there's a lot of uniformity in the basic thinking and
0: beliefs of the senior managers. That doesn't change much. Well, Jeff, thank you for being uh, a, a guest again. Um, last time we were talking about the second edition of the Toyota Way, so I'll remind people um, about that. They can still get that. And in addition to the uh, great back catalog of other books, Toyota Culture – When I think of Dave Meyer, uh, the Toyota Way Field book was his, co-authored with you. And then Toyota Toyota Talent Talent was with Dave Meyer. So um, any other? And I've got some recent books. One of them is a
1: comic book. It's called Engaging the Team at Zingerman's Mail Order. And Zingerman's Mail Order is a mail order company that sells fancy, expensive foods. uh, And they ship them around the country from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And one of my PhD students started working with them about 15 years ago. And we've been working with them for the last five years or so on Kata. And this is a 60-page Kata book, comic book, uh, that uh, tells the story of how they have been using Kata to engage the frontline worker. Uh, so that's, that's new. Yes. That's only a few months out.
0: I feel like I should have interviewed you and talked more about that book. But thank you for well, okay. it's always possible we can, uh, Not let a, a, another four years um, Go by, I hope um, I, I know you're continuing to work And you're, you're writing Do you, Last time we talked about guitar Are you writing guitar music Or just playing yeah. guitar?
1: No, no, no Well, I play classical guitar And classical guitar yeah. is very rigid It's like standard work you know. And the standard work was written by somebody else Who lived 200 years ago and they were brilliant and they wrote, and you want to play this music the way they wrote it. So you don't improvise on classical guitar.
0: Well, well, Jeff, thank you again. And um, certainly wish you all the best year for 2024. Thanks for joining us. You too. Take care Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org.